days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus today, leave your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Is very today is found in Revelation 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the dead in Hades, death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they judged each one according to his works. Then the dead in Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Hello, church.
Are we on? Can you hear me now? Hello, everybody awake? Before we get started, um, because we're going to be delving into God's Word this morning, I'd like to pray. I know I need it, and uh, I'm sure you do as well. Let's pray for God's direction and His presence. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your holy book, we seek wisdom from on high, Lord. We also seek your love, your compassion, your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would use my lips of clay, cleanse me, and make me a pure instrument in your hands, that I might deliver a message to your people, Lord, that is much needed for these last days to prepare us for eternity with you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have. I've noticed that there's a lot of discussion about judges these days. Have you, have you been keeping up on current events? No? I, I, I keep my eye on things because uh, I see it as the fulfillment of prophecy. And I see prophecy just opening up and things being unfolded every day. So as I was noticing, they're talking about not only uh, you know, certain types of judges, like local judges or, or uh, circuit judges, immigration judges, judges that sit on the courts of appeal, but there's been a lot of discussion around the Supreme Court justice as of late. And I find it interesting to watch the debate go on over whether one person is qualified over another. And I thought about the the title of that court, Supreme Court. And I found that to be a little pompous and arrogant. A Supreme Court. Really? Supreme in what way? I guess if you're looking just from a worldly perspective, it is the highest court in our land. And we're not the only nation that has a Supreme Court. But is it really truly the Supreme Court? Or is there one still higher? This morning we're going to spend some time looking at some text in the, in the Bible that's going to give us an insight into the true Supreme Court. The one that is over everyone. And we're going to notice some characteristics. We're going to notice who, who is the judge, who is in this judgment, what the judgment is about, and what the outcome, what are the two possible outcomes from this judgment. So the first text I'd like you to turn to with me is to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, a man known as the wisest man who ever lived. And we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 17. Ecclesiastes 3, 17. 
My Bible reads this way. I'm using the New American Standard Bible this morning. You'll find it to be much very similar to the one that you might be using. Verse 17 reads this way. I said to myself, God will judge. So who is the judge in this court? God himself. And depending on your perspective of God, that could be good or bad. Amen? God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. There's some inclusive language for you. For a time, for every matter, and for every deed there is. So what we see here in this text is that there is a supreme judge, that there are two groups of people that will be judged, the righteous and the wicked. And we learn here that every deed and every matter will be judged. You know, there seems to be an awful lot of injustice in this world, especially these days. But isn't it good news to know that even the injustices will be judged? Even those things that seem to be wrong in this world, and the people that seem to get away with even murder, will be called into judgment. The next text I'd like to take you to is the book, in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and verse 31. Acts 17, 31. This is Luke writing here. And Luke records these words. He says, Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There is a final judgment. God has set the day. I don't know what that day is. I believe that it's very soon. I believe that God judges in righteousness. Aren't you glad for that? So we know that God is going to do the judging, but what type of judgment will he render? He will render a righteous judgment, my friends. Have you ever heard of a crooked judge? Yeah, sadly to say, they're out there. What type of judge would you want to appear before in this final judgment? Would you want to appear before the judge that's known as the hanging judge? Or the crooked judge? Or the judge that's on the take? No, my friends, the type of judgment that God will render in this judgment is a righteous judgment, and you can guarantee that. The day is fixed. No one can change that, by the way. And the proof of this, the proof that God gives of this being true, is that he raised his son from the dead. Let's go to Romans chapter 14 now. Just one book back. Romans 14 and verse 12. 
will build a picture as we go through these. Romans 14, 12. Paul writes here, he says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us. There's none that will escape this judgment. Every one of us will have to give an account. But it is of ourselves that we will give an account. Not others. We're not going to stand before the judge and say, well, but so-and-so was this way or that way, or did this or did that, that's why I did it. No. We are going to give an account of ourselves. Now let's go back to Solomon, chapter uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14. We're going to take a whirlwind tour through the scriptures this morning. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. Solomon writes these words, he says, For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. We talk about conspiracies and cover-ups, right? We talk about things that are done in secret. No one will know. But there is a judge. There is an almighty God who sees and knows everything. Nothing will be, will be eluded by his view. Every act... And every judgment. So it's not just what we do, my friends, but it's our intentions behind what we do. The decisions that we make about what we do. God even knows the depths of our hearts. Amen? That may be an amen moment for some. And oh no moment for others. But nothing can be hidden from him. Not even the secret desires of our hearts. Now we want to go back to the New Testament. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 8 and verse 17. Luke eight seventeen. Luke says here, he says... For nothing, he confirms what we see written by uh, Solomon in the Old Testament. He says, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Evident. Evidence will be presented. I don't know if you've ever been to court before. I have. I've been on both sides of the courtroom. You know, there's a prosecution side and there's a defense side. And I feel uncomfortable whenever I'm in court, regardless of where I am at. 
But when you're under the microscope, it's not easy, is it? It's difficult to think that your life could be so closely examined that every secret thing that you've ever done could be revealed. Now, I wasn't always a Christian. I didn't always have Christ in my heart to guide and direct me. So I've done things in my past that I'm ashamed of. I don't think I'm alone there, am I? Have you too done things that you're ashamed of? That if you are standing before the all-powerful, all-knowing creator God of the universe, and it was shown to you that your heart would not break? All of us, my friends, are there. We've all been there. You know, I think the most difficult thing while standing before God in the judgment is the sense of his own disappointment in me. You know, God's wanted the best for me. And I haven't always answered the call. And for that, I'm ashamed. But I pray, I pray that God will help me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 36. Matthew 12, beginning with verse 36. Matthew writes here, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For your words you will be justified, or I'm sorry, for by your words you'll be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. Perhaps you, like me, have uttered careless words in the past. And your account is in the red. And you find yourself standing on the wrong side of judgment. Perhaps it's true that you, if you stood in the judgment, perhaps today, even, you would find yourself wanting. Boy, it's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? It seems like there's a growing sense that we, we have no hope in this resurrection, or I mean in this judgment. Well, let's go to probably one of the most well-known in the Adventist church passage about the judgment. That's Revelation chapter 14, beginning with verse 6. You might want to know when this judgment begins. And this is something that is this is something that I didn't know before I came into the Adventist church and I didn't understand that, that it was happening and how important it was. Revelation chapter 6 begins by saying that I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth 
and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, because the hour of his judgment has come. Do you see it there? This angel proclaims that there is, a, there is good news in the judgment. And that judgment has begun. You see, there's a popular message out there, my friends, in churches today. That popular message is that you're going to get a second chance at some point in the future. That the Lord's going to come back and he's going to sweep up a group of people. They're going to disappear from the face of the earth. And then there's going to be a seven-year period of time that all of the rest of us that are left here will have a second chance to get our act together, if you will, and to be saved. My friends, that's just not true. You see, the Bible tells us that, and we don't have time to go there this morning, but the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back, he will have his reward with him. The reason why he'll have his reward with him is because he's already judged and determined who should receive the reward. And what is the the reward? It's eternal life, my friends. He promises that only to the righteous. Well, let's turn a few more pages to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12, where we had our scripture reading this morning. We're going to understand a little bit more about this judgment. And this is not an exhaustive study of the judgment by any means. But we want to get a good picture painted by the scriptures for us. Revelation 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Notice the S, books, plural were opened, and another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books, plural, according to their deeds, plural. Dying doesn't get you out of the judgment. You know, I've talked to a lot of uh, Adventists that have told me, well, uh, before the tribulation starts, you know, the time of trouble, before it begins, I hope the Lord lays me to rest. That's not the get-out-of-jail-free card, my friends. If you're right with the Lord, if he puts you to rest, it will safeguard you so that you won't sin anymore. But if you're unrighteous, my friends, it doesn't help at all. There's a book of life. Not only is our, our, our deeds recorded, the things that we do, the things that we say, the attitudes of our heart, but God has a book of life. And it's in that book, my friends, that you want to have your name recorded. You know, a lot of people write books and they go on the bestseller list. People are mentioned in them. I don't care if I'm in one of those books. 
But I do care if my name is in the Lamb's book of life. And verse 15 says, And if anyone, that's all-inclusive language, if anyone, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, there's only two possible groups that you can be in, my friends. You can be in the righteous, whose names are written in the book of life, or you could be among the unrighteous and be thrown into the lake of fire. Only two possible outcomes. There is no Switzerland in the deal. There's no neutral territory to stand on. You can't say, well... You can't be an agnostic, in other words, and say, well, yeah, I, don't, I can't say that God uh, doesn't exist, but I can't say that he, that he exists either. You can't have your cake and eat it too. In this judgment, you, you must make a stand, my friends, on one side or the other. You see, if you don't make a stand for Jesus, then by default, you have joined yourself to the other side. See, that's the default setting for humanity. We're all lost without Jesus. Let's go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, chapter 56. Psalms 56 and verse 8. Psalm 56 and verse 8. I love that sound in the Adventist church when you tell people to turn to a text and then you hear the pages turning. I've been in some churches that I've preached in that uh, you don't hear that sound. It's sad. Psalm 56 and verse 8. My Bible reads this way. You have taken account of my wonderings That's the Hebrew word, nod. It means misery. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Hurting and suffering is the one thing that every human on this planet has in common. Have you been hurt before? Has somebody done something to you? They haven't apologized for it? They didn't even, maybe they didn't even notice that they did you so much damage or harm. Or maybe somebody intentionally hurt you along the way of your life. And you're still hurting from that experience. Take heed. Know this, those things do not go unnoticed. There will come a day when those acts perpetrated against you will be judged. The hurt that you've experienced, God has noticed. He's taken note of it. He's counted the tears that have rolled down your face. 
your suffering has not gone unnoticed by God. Let's go to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 3.16. Malachi 3.16. If you find the book of Matthew, just go back one book. Malachi 3.16. Malachi records these words. He says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. God cares, my friends. He cares so much that he records it carefully. Now, I don't know about you, but I question some record-keeping sometimes. The accuracy. You know, sometimes they they joke around and say, well, the, the accountant needs to sharpen his pencil a little bit. And they can do funny things with the numbers. There's no funny business in this recording. There's no no cracking into the system. And sabotaging the records. God takes very careful attention and records ever so carefully... the things spoken by those who fear him. This word fear doesn't mean that we need to be afraid, although we certainly could be afraid of a creator God that could speak us out of existence in a moment. That kind of power is fearful. But the word fear here refers to reverence and respect. Have you noticed, like I have, perhaps you have, that there doesn't seem to be anything sacred any longer? Have you noticed that in this world? That it seems that there is absolutely nothing sacred any longer. Man could just trod on everything. You know, when I was growing up as a young man, there were certain things that were sacred. Marriage sacred. Your religious beliefs, sacred. The flag, even, sacred. There were things you didn't talk about in public because you respected other people. That seems to have all fallen by the wayside. To be righteous in this world is a struggle. And we need help. Now I want to have you turn back to the book of Psalms, chapter 50 this time. Psalms, chapter 50. And we're going to look at verse 6. Psalm 50, verse 6.
The psalmist here writes these words, and, and the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. You know, there are a great number of people that have been born into and have lived in this world and are living today that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. And that's true right here in the United States of America. So, do they escape the judgment? Or is there... Is there another way that God is communicating to this world? Not just by this book, my friends. But all of nature cries out to the world and tells them that there is a creator God. There is a creator God out there. Just look into the heavens at night. See nature. You can see God in it. Now let's go back to the New Testament. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we'll begin with verse 10. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. I'm in trouble. Are you? Is there any place for self-righteousness in this judgment? If you've broken just one of them, you're guilty of all of them, my friends. Verse 12 tells us this. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. God is telling us very clearly, my friends, that there is a, a right way for us to walk in. Speak and act as if you know that you're going to be judged by the law. But then it adds the words of liberty. Maybe you've grown up in an atmosphere different than the atmosphere that I grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a church family. And you were taught about the commandments. And what you heard was, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Sounds like a whole bunch of don'ts, doesn't it? But God has helped me to see that the Ten Commandments are much more than that. That in fact, the Ten Commandments that God has given to us is a hedge of protection for us. If you will stay within these confines, I can keep you safe. But if you wander outside of this hedge of protection, there's consequences, either in this life or in the next. 
It is for me a law of liberty. Why? Why is it a law of liberty? Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 again. We're going to wrap this up here pretty soon. Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to look at verse 13 this time. After Solomon's life experience and all the things that he had gone through and all of his contemplating about what it all means, he comes to this conclusion. He says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act into judgment everything that is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Fear God, reverence and respect the creator God of the universe and keep his commandments, which is by, uh, by default a definition of who he is. It's a definition of his very character. And we want our characters to be like that of Christ. We'll go back to he- we'll go to Hebrews now, chapter seven, and verse twenty-five. Hebrews seven twenty-five. This is one of my favorite texts, by the way. And those, indeed, of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have commanded in the law... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong text. I apologize for that. Let me get back here. Yeah, no, I'm right. I'm in, I'm in verse 5. I need to go to chapter, uh, verse 25. Okay. Let's try that again. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The he here, my friends, is Jesus Christ. And he's able to save you and me, regardless of what we've done. And how bad we've been. Regardless of whether we've broken one commandment or we've broken them all. Jesus Christ is able to save. And I love the fact that Jesus never rests. Day or night. But makes intercession for us. On a 24-7 if you will. You see, there is an accuser of the brethren out there. The devil doesn't rest either. But Jesus doesn't weary of defending you when you turn yourself over to him. He never wearies of of defending you against the attacks of the devil. 
That's the type of love that he provides to you. Let's go to Proverbs 28.13. Proverbs 28. Verse 13. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. My friends, maybe you found yourself knowing and understanding that if you were to stand in the judgment, you would be condemned. God gives out a simple formula for us. Confess to him what you've done, and he will have compassion on you. Now let's go to 1 John. I'm going to take you to a couple of texts here that I think every Christian should have memorized. 1 John chapter 1. We'll start out with verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. If you want a closer communion with one another in church, let's walk like Jesus walked. Amen? And in doing so, we will have closer fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, the what? The blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sins. How many? All sins. You see, Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. Amen? Amen. Then he goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Some translations say that we're a liar. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now listen, please, if if you only memorize one text in the Bible your whole life, memorize 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Yes, there's a judgment. Yes, everything will be revealed. Nothing will be kept secret in this judgment. It could be very frightening, but it doesn't have to be. The reason why it doesn't have to be is because Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And all he asks you to do is come to him, confess to him, and he will forgive you and cleanse you from all of your sin. All of that can be left to Calvary, my friends. And we're going to sing a hymn. It's number 569. So if you want to take your hymnals out, turn to 569. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. <laughs>